Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. Carol, as you may know, is a nationally known gerontologist, chairman of the board of the National Council on Aging, executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, and she has forgotten more about aging than most of us will ever learn. I think that's probably true. Wow. Yeah. You know a lot. It gives me, gives me hope, though, that I've forgotten yeah. everything. No, you haven't. Not you yet. haven't. In fact, uh, and we're going to talk about it uh, uh, and, and spend time focusing on uh, communications with folks who have Alzheimer's and other problems, and you, you wrote a wonderful essay on that. All right. We'll talk, we'll talk about that later. We will. Take 10. We will. By the way, we have a great guest coming up, uh, Stacy Young, who... Uh, is a retired Army colonel, a Ph.D. in nursing, uh, who has pioneered uh, program exercise and breast cancer. And you were uh, suggesting when we were talking off the air, uh, that's a phrase you never hear. Well, the words cancer and exercise just do not come up together very often. So for me, this is um, it's a new topic. It's not new to her. She's been doing this research for 30 years. years. For years, and so it's about time to get it out of the lab and out in the open. And we're so glad that Stacy's going to be joining us. Um, and you know, I think she walks the walk. Literally, she does. You know, she recommends walking, and I think she does walk the walk. So. Yeah, absolutely. Now, before we do that, we've got some uh, topics that uh, you have called from the news, and one is the seven worst foods for your teeth. Yeah, you never know what's going to catch my interest when I'm looking at different <laughs> articles. And I was this one caught my eye because we always get all these great foods you should be eating and then I'm reading <laughs> seven worst foods for your teeth. Guess what's on the list? It's not all junk food that you would think it is. So Not all gummy bears. Not all gummy bears. So seven worst foods for your teeth. Number 1, you've heard this one, ice. 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 So as he sits here and crunches ice. Yeah, as he sits here and crunches ice. So this came from out of grandparents.com. And, you know, we've all heard don't eat candy, brush your teeth twice a day and all that good stuff. But a lot of people are under the mistaken impression that it's like strength training, that crunching ice actually helps build up your teeth and makes them strong. And that's oh so not correct. It's actually a recipe for cracking your teeth and ruining your crowns and loosening chips and doing bad things. So I stopped chewing that ice, Ron. I have a friend who's a dentist who uh, has suggested uh, that every dentist ought to give out bags of popcorn uh, to their patients, so they go home and so they can go home and pop it and crack teeth. Oh, well, not the good popcorn. It's just stay away from those kernels, and that's Ah, not on this list, by the way. So what else? So um, dried fruit. You know those healthy snacks, the dried fruit, right. the dried apricots and prunes and raisins, things I love, like that? I, I love dried Who fruit. Who doesn't love all that? But you know what? They're really sticky. You can think about them. They're really sticky. And they stick in the crevices of your teeth. And all that natural sugar that's in fruit Ooh. is just like candy sugar. And it sits there in between your teeth. Feeding bacteria. Um, and feeding bacteria. You got it. So dried wow. fruit, not good. Um, number three, bread. Who doesn't eat bread? So white bread is sugar. Once you saliva breaks down the starch the into sugar, yeah. it's sugar. So white bread, uh, pasta, all of that is, again, 
Bad for your bad teeth. Bad for your teeth because it's soft. It gets in the cracks. And crunchy snacks, so it doesn't even have to be the soft, squishy stuff. Uh, potato chips and pretzels get lodged in your grooves of your teeth and sit there and cause Ooh. bacteria. So bread and chips. Uh, number four, alcohol. So, you know, um, you have to add cavities to the long list of things that alcohol is, you know, bad for. Because too much alcohol, and it, it's not the sugar. It's if you drink a lot. Okay, tell me if you, I don't know. Have, has anybody listening ever had so much to drink that their mouth feels dry and kind of pasty? You know, that feeling, oh, I've had too much to drink. You wake I, up and you're uh, like, smack, smack, smack. I've read about it. Yeah, we've all read about that and heard about it. Well, if you have reduced saliva flow, then that actually leads to tooth decay, gum disease, and other infections. A lot of people have dry mouth caused by medication. By medications, and it's not good for your teeth. Wow. So, you know, and uh, caffeinated beverages would fall under that. The coffee and the caffeinated can yeah. actually make you have dry mouth. You mentioned gummy bears, but the real culprit is sour candy. Every grandmother in America gives it out. I know. Well, sour candy apparently is very high acidic. It breaks down your tooth enamel. Oh, and the picture actually is gummy bears now that I'm looking at this. And, okay, but this is what's really fun. Okay, so here we go. If you do eat sour candy and you think, oh, I'm going to brush my teeth because I eat sour candy and candy, and you actually your enamel is softened by the sour candy. And if you brush right after eating it, you're actually scraping away the enamel that was loosened by the candy. Wow. So if you are eating gummy bears and sour candy, Don't brush. wait a little bit <laughs> before you brush your teeth. And always use only a soft bristle. And only use it, yeah. Like, yeah. We're, we're not dentists. By the way, we are not dentists. But I you're, I mean, people, are, this is news. I mean, aren't you thinking this is news yes. to you? I didn't yes. notice. This is news. All right. So what's not news is soda. We have all heard about the tooth that was placed in a jar of Coke and disintegrated. Or maybe we did that as a science project. Right. So it's actually true. Or it takes rust off chrome. And it doesn't matter if it's a diet drink or if it's sugar-filled. Um it's just coating. It's like bathing your teeth in sugar, which is like, come on, bacteria, just grow here. Um, so, and and dark colored soft drinks also can stain your teeth. So, on top of everything else. On top else. of everything else, they're going to stain it. All right, number seven was the one that really caught me off guard. Beets and berries, all those delicious, yummy blueberries and blackberries. Really? And dark berries that they're so good for us. They're, they're, Antioxidants. Well, they are. So keep eating them, but swish your mouth out with water after you eat them so your teeth don't get stained. Huh. So basically, you know, the, the best thing, the simplest way to protect your teeth <laughs> is, okay, I'm not going to say what's good in different foods, but simplest way is to keep a glass of water nearby, swish it around, dislodge the food particles, and dilute the residue from those dark colored berries and soft drinks that you've been consuming. That's a good tip. So, yeah, there you go, teeth. Wow. Our kids love blueberries. I love blueberries. Blueberries are like candy. Yeah, they are. They really are. They really are. And they're but, priced now like Cadillacs. <laughs> they are, except right now, this time of year, I just got a beautiful bunch last night that was, you know, I got to run to the store. Run to the store, yes. Wow. Yeah, our kids love berries. So as you think about uh, that advice and you think about ways in which people can Deal with the issue of foods for your teeth. Generally, what are you doing when you're eating? You're sitting down. You are sitting down. And do we sit too much? We do sit too much. We've been reading about this. This whole sitting phenomenon is the new smoking. Sitting is the new smoking. I actually read that somewhere. I like that. Um, and so, I mean, I don't like it, like it, but that's a good line. Well, so Gretchen Reynolds, who writes for the New York Times, uh, did a piece on a two-minute walk may counter the harms of sitting. 
So, so what does sitting cause? Sitting, long bouts of sitting can actually increase your risk for diabetes, heart disease, obesity, kidney problems, and cause premature death. And even if you exercise, let's say you sit in your chair eight hours a day at work, and then you exercise faithfully every night, you're still shortening your life by doing the sitting. The exercise at night is not undoing that. Wow. According to Gretchen. Well, when I first moved to San Antonio and did five hours of radio morning drive, I, I stand when I do that. Well, and that's good. And that's much better. So but you can't stand and do that in the well, studio. Well, you can, and, and especially it's not practical for women to stand all day in those high heels. Who wants to do that? Um, and, and with the whole multitasking, the treadmill disc and all that, a lot of us can't type and walk on a treadmill at the same time. I know I certainly can't. No, I can't either. So what they're saying is once an hour, get up and do a brisk walk around your cubicle, around your office, around your office building. But every hour, if you will get up and just do a nice little brisk walk for two minutes. Now, that's not too much no, to ask, right? And your boss isn't going to get mad at you for two minutes of walking. Then that's going to undo all of the horrible, horrible sitting impact and Okay, so if you go from no walking to two minutes, you just cut your risk in half. If you do four minutes instead of two minutes, you've doubled down the good stuff. I like that. So, you know, two minutes a day, two minutes an hour throughout the day, get up and walk around and don't have, probably your backside will feel better and it'll look better too. So extra bonus. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Information and uh, recommendations for your backside, but how about belly fat? That's <laughs> no, the front so side. Going to say the front side. Yeah, yeah, go to the I don't front know what side. I was thinking when I picked all of these out this week. I really don't. Body but, body shapes. So reducing belly fat. Maybe I was worried about that. You know, because there's different kinds of fat. You, know, you belly, don't have an ounce of fat well, on you. Well, belly fat is the heart. It's not like a little bit of fat under the skin. It's kind of the deep fat. You can't get rid of it. But and it's really hard to get rid of. And you can exercise and exercise and exercise, and this also from Gretchen Reynolds in the New York Times, but a study from the University of Alabama says the only way you're going to get rid of the belly fat is to cut your calories. You actually have to eat less. So we hear a lot about exercise. We're going to be talking about exercise, and exercise is great, and exercise and diet are great, but if you want to get rid of belly fat, you have to cut your calories. That's right. Dr. Stacy Young will be with us, retired Army colonel. Nurse who spent 30 years just about in the Army, now at the UT Health Science Center doing research on PTSD and exercise. Also has looked at exercise as a way to speed recovery from cancer surgery. And I know, and, and exercise is fabulous, so maybe she can talk about calories too. But I'm just telling you, you want to get rid of the little belly, you got to reduce the calories. It's not just exercise. And you can't do sit-ups. You cannot do enough sit-ups to reduce belly fat. All you're doing is tighten your muscle, and the the fat's just kind of held in there. So sorry about that. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that good news? That's depressing. I'm full of good news, right? You are. I am. But you have some good news from the nanny of all nannies, the Fran nanny Drescher. Nanny. Everybody remembers Fran Drescher's voice. And I'm not uh, even going to try to. It's a fingernail it. on yeah, a blackboard. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, I did not realize when I read this, I actually went, "Oh, yeah, that's right." You know, because she was on the air, she had that hit show, The Nanny, and then she had, came down with uterine cancer. Yes. So she, her whole life, got turned upside down, and she recently she has a new um, nonprofit, Cancer Schmancer. <laughs> Cancer Smancer, something like that. That's her voice. <laughs> and so she had some tips uh, about caregiving. And tip number one was, um, you know, cancer survivors need caregiving partners 
people with cancer, and we're going to be talking about cancer today, um, need a posse. They need a group of people to support them. They need those caregivers. And so, you know, a lot of cancer people think, I'm going to rally. I'm going to do this alone. And she's saying, no, don't do it alone. You know, you need those caregivers. You need that posse. So that's number one. I have time for one more. And number two is even though patients and caregivers don't have superpowers, be empowered. Be the caregiver that goes to the doctor with the person with cancer. Take the notes. Listen. Be the eyes and the ears. And if your person is really feeling badly, advocate for what they need in the hospital at all times. Be that superpower. And I'm going to say three is understand the disease of the person you're caring for. If they have cancer, Alzheimer's, get more information. It's empowering. Boy, is that important. It's wow. Up next, Stacy Young, retired Army colonel, a Ph.D. nurse, and we'll talk with her about exercise and cancer right here on Caregiver SOS on air on 930 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, and one of the things I'm most pleased about being a well-med patient is the way in which I'm treated by all the staff at the clinic I go to. And Dr. Robin Eikhoff, that's not by accident. No, it's not. We really spend a lot of time training our staff and asking them to really connect with the patients and get to know them because we consider them part of our clinic home. And the other thing that's really impressive to me is the amount of time my well-med physician spends with me, and you do the same thing with your patients. Yeah, I, I really do try to, and, and we do a lot, a lot more time than your typical uh, provider can afford to give, and I think that allows us to get to know the whole patient and not just their diseases. That's cool. Don't have a lot of time to talk about prevention, but you do a lot of that as well. We spend an enormous amount of time on preventative measures. Want information about WellMed? Want to be a WellMed patient? Call 210-614-WELL. 614-WELL. What it's so cool as we roll along here on Caregiver SOS On Air... Brought to you by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. We re- welcome to our studios retired Colonel Dr. Stacy Young, who was a nurse in the military for only 29 years, retired as a colonel, uh, and spent a whole lot of time uh, working on exercise as a way to help deal with chemotherapy, uh, radiation therapy, and what have you when it comes to cancer. So we're delighted to have you here. Thanks for coming in. Oh, thanks for the invitation. My favorite topic to talk about. 29 years in the military. Uh, I'm sure you spent time here in San Antonio. I did. What? Where were you based mostly, or was it everywhere? I had a variety of assignments, both here in the States as well as overseas. Um, I was in San Francisco, up at Madigan Army Medical Center, but closed out my, and well as in Europe, but closed out my career here at Brook Army Medical Center, now San Antonio Military right. Medical Center. And of the things that you were able to do in the military, folks don't really think about this, but huge medical component. Oh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And we take the care of not only our active duty service members uh, very seriously, but also their family members and our military beneficiaries, those that uh, served and retired or might be medically retired out of the military. Well, one of the things that you mentioned before the show, which a lot of people also don't think about, is you were talking about how much of your career you spent dealing with issues related to cancer. And when we think of medical doctors in the Army, we're not thinking about cancer. Uh, you know, we're thinking about wounded warriors and other things. So how did you get interested um, in that kind of work? 
You know, I think it's one of those, you want to be open to opportunities that come your way. I came right out of my nursing program into the military, and as a brand new second lieutenant, you don't have a lot of choices. You go where they tell you to go. And I was assigned to a cancer ward in, in San Francisco, and it was just an incredibly humbling and honoring experience to care for those uh, people and their family members. It, it's interesting, back then... I won't, I mean, you could probably do the math. I've been in the Army a long time and a nurse a little bit longer than that. Um, you know, back then, when somebody was given a diagnosis of cancer, it was really a death sentence. It was, I'm right. so sorry, go home, go to bed. Get your affairs in order. Exactly. And that never rang true to me. Um, I was physically active my entire life in the military. They're sure that you're physically active. And I kept thinking, gee, I sure feel better when I can exercise. There's different considerations if you're going through radiation therapy or chemotherapy, as you said, or if you're recovering from surgery. There's different things you need to think about, but it sure seemed like exercise could help my patients feel better also. And we were able to do some of the research to document that. So, this, so was this your idea? They, did you, you were thinking about exercise? Where, where is it like a group of you were thinking of it, or you're like, um, I wasn't the first person to publish on that, but I think uh, we had the second paper out on that idea, and I think it was just starting to get going. I actually was doing some work with cardiac rehab programs and was um, very um, uh, appreciative of those programs where they had trained staff, they had beautiful facilities. And I kept thinking, why can't we do the same thing for cancer patients? So started out slow, just asked a lot of women with breast cancer, gee, did you exercise before you got cancer? Do you exercise now? How do you feel then? How do you feel now? Sure enough, the ones that were able to exercise felt better. And that kind of launched me thinking about, gee, what can we do for these women uh, New women newly diagnosed with cancer, and then all people diagnosed with cancer. So what did you do? What kind of program did you set up for them? Right. Well, we started out doing the same type of program uh, people who've had a heart attack go through. So we brought them into the cardiac rehab clinic, put them on a treadmill, carefully monitored for any side effects, and um, you know encouraged them to live a healthy lifestyle. Uh, from there, we tested doing resistance exercise to uh, cardiopulmonary exercise, more aerobic exercise. Um, then we looked at some long-term outcomes. You know, your program kind of evolves as you go along. It's interesting. My wife and I have a DVD on uh, exercise, walking, and, and what have you, and there's a line in that DVD uh, th that I've remembered like forever now, which is nobody ever said they were sorry they exercised after they exercised. Oh, isn't it true? It's almost a joke in our office right now. My boss, I'll be extolling upon the benefits of exercise, and my boss will say, tell me something exercise isn't good for. Uh, so, <laughs> it's just about, that's a very short list. Exactly. You know, cause we, Ron and I were we're laughing before the show. We were talking about how we talk about exercise all the time and that if there is a magic bullet in medicine, if there is a magic bullet in life, it's exercise. You know, I don't think, you know, all these buildings and these office jobs and everything we've created, I don't think we were intended to be sitting still. I mean, we used to run around a lot. This is a very modern, very recent phenomenon, all of the sitting in the office life that we do. 
Because otherwise we were either out hunting, gathering, doing all those fun things. Began with technology, remote controls. All kinds of devices that let That's you right. stay in your chair. The remote control is the downfall of humanity. Now, if you've just joined us, <laughs> we're talking with Stacy Young, retired Army colonel, professor at the University of Texas Health Science Center, San Antonio School of Medicine, director of research for two, one wasn't enough for her, two multidisciplinary and multi-institutional consortia, wow, based at the UT Health Science Center in San Antonio, research on how to better understand, prevent, and treat post-traumatic stress disorder, and we'll get into that as well. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, brought to you by the WellMed Charitable Foundation on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. And, and there, there's a neat tie-in between the kind of thing you're talking about uh, and PTSD. Yes, we um, got really interested. Once again, the thought that exercise benefits just about every condition, symptom, it makes you feel better. And one of the common treatments for PTSD is called exposure therapy, where you talk with a therapist about the thing that happened to you, and then you listen to that tape you've made to try and understand it better, go over it, desensitize yourself to it. Well, while people are listening to that tape... It's going to be really traumatic. Very traumatic. A lot of emotions get built up inside. And we thought, well, gee, what if people were running or exercising while they were listening to that tape? Would that help them... Uh, well, I say, would it help them metabolize those stress hormones that get created by recreating that experience? And the answer is... We are in the process of figuring that out. So we've had um, uh, almost uh, 70 people up at Fort Hood participate in the study right now. And we're about halfway through, and then we'll uh, take a look at the data. Fort Hood, of course, was a place where they had that awful shooting uh, on the base. And I would think that there's some who came out of that with PTSD. There are. There certainly are. Um, People felt like their lives were threatened, and they 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 were. were. Yes. And here you have a post that is uh, deployed. The units up there have deployed the most often in across the military. They've suffered huge loss of life in theater. So we've got some really brave uh, men and women up there that are dealing with a lot. And we are so appreciative to be able to partner with our military colleagues to bring and test different types of evidence-based treatments. Now, you look like someone who lives what you preach. You exercise. I do. What do you do? I usually do an elliptical during the week, and then I try and run and do weights on the weekends. And Carol does flamenco dancing. (laughs) Flamenco dancing and elliptical. I have to say I do elliptical during the week because usually I'm dancing on the weekends. Um, Not as much weight training as I would like. Now, why do you do weights? Um, It's recommended, and we need to build up our muscles. Um, I've actually recently been very enamored with core muscle exercises, and especially for our older patient population and caregivers, uh, it improves people's balance. The older you get, the more unsteady people can get on their feet. But if we can improve those core musculature and keep them upright, prevent hip fractures or some of the horrible secondary trauma from falls, everything is better. Well, the risk of falls for seniors is enormous. And uh, Carol, through the WellMed Charitable Foundation, uh, helps 
uh, run a program on balance. Yes, our Matter Balance program that... Uh, are you familiar with the Matter of Balance I'm program? I'm not. It's That's an evidence-based so program out of um, one of the universities up in Massachusetts. And it actually, you were just talking, it teaches people to overcome their fear of falling because if, you pro- if you're afraid to fall, You'll you're, fall. you're going to stop doing things that uh, you should be doing, like exercising, like getting up, and it actually increases your risk. But it also has an exercise component, what you were, just <laughs> what you were talking about, because it is the magic bullet Um you know, getting that strength training so that you can improve your balance just a little bit. I mean, you know, it's not, we're not talking heavy duty Mr. Atlas gym kinds of exercises. Um, you can make huge benefits in your balance and your strength with just, uh, you know, some very simple, basic exercises. Isn't that true? You do not even sweat when you're doing those core muscle See, exercises. don't even sweat. Now, how bad can it be if you don't even break a sweat? <laughs> right. Yes. Exactly. Now, we, we know, and you mentioned, uh, uh, cardio and exercise. Uh, f- for decades, people who had heart surgery were up and walking the halls within minutes of surgery. Uh, but others, and you mentioned cancer and breast cancer, but that was not the approach. It was Why? not at all. Because it's women? We don't worry about women? I, I, no, I think we were just so overwhelmed by the cancer experience. And Yes, those people are very sick. And then the drugs we gave and give people and the radiation, it has really severe side effects. And it's only been more recently we've uh, perfected the doses and then really focused on the symptom management and how do we um, give let people live. The majority of their day is not spent in the doctor's office. So we want them to come in and get treatment, but then the majority of their lives, they need to maintain health and fitness. All right. We're going to come right back to this. We really appreciate you being here. Stacy Young, retired Army colonel uh, who's at the UT Health Science Center, Professor Young. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. <laughs> We are having a fascinating conversation talking with uh, retired Colonel Stacy Young about exercise and cancer and other illnesses that uh, can benefit from exercise. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air right here at 9.30 a.m., The Answer. So you teach at the UT Health Science Center. But what's the response of med students to your suggestion that, you know, we need to be doing more to get these patients up and moving? Mm-hmm. Uh, That's a good point. Um, Actually, my role at the Health Science Center is to do research. So I certainly interact with the medical students, but it's not like I have a formal class or anything with them. But, um, you know, that's always the challenge of formal schooling these days. Uh, I know you just recently did a, a program on nutrition, and the dietitians are always trying to get more content into the medical school curriculum about nutrition. Same with exercise. Uh, would love to get more curriculum in. And there's, uh, they need to do a lot of the basic science, the pharmacology, the biochemistry, the, it's, daunting the amount of information those young men and women have to take in. So All that stuff. Right, right. And yet exercise 
can indeed be the magic bullet. Well, and the medical students aren't getting any exercise. I can guarantee you that. Way too busy. Her son graduated <laughs> med school. Yeah, he's yeah, still in residency right now doing emergency medicine. So not a gerontologist. Not a, not a geriatrician or no. primary care, but it's okay, Chris. We still love you. <laughs> um, but so, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, this work and exercise and when you started and you know, it used to be that we people stayed in bed and, and and rested and rested and rested. This idea of exercise, I mean, literally, was that you <laughs> that, that made all of this change? Because that's not the way that it was. No. Uh, it, it really is seems, you know, it's, it's one of those aha, you want to hit your head and go, duh, why didn't we think of this before? Um, because I know, you know, one of the reasons that I exercise is because it does, it does make me feel better. I think low level depression or something may run in my family. And as long as I exercise regularly, you know, I feel fine. Um, and a lot of people don't realize the mood elevation. So you think of someone with cancer or PTSD and just that role of a mood elevator that exercise can be much less some of the other physical benefits. To me, it makes perfect sense. I just heard or saw this incredibly interesting research that was done in postmenopausal women, healthy women, not necessarily with cancer. And they were comparing, oh, I think it was 60 minutes of exercise to 90 to 120, something like that. And there was improvements in every group. The idea was that walking was sufficient. People didn't need to go to a really a gym for a an incredibly aerobic workout. But then the guy concluded, the author concluded, that at least half of the benefit was between the ears by having doing exercise. And I, it speaks just to the mood elevation, the uh, relief of anxiety, depression, being able to better cope with life stressors. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I just, I think it makes so much sense. And I'm thinking of a friend of mine who did have very serious uh, bout with uh, breast cancer, um, extensive treatments, and she now runs marathons. Oh, good for and her. And I'm just, you know, this is not something she ever did before, and I'm still just amazed, you know, that that was what came out of this really negative experience um, was that now she exercises regularly, she's running marathons, uh, and doing things that she didn't do before. Yeah, you know, one of the things the military does, and you, you mentioned this earlier, is that there is a fitness requirement. Uh, my son is a naval officer, and, and he's got to you know, go through that fitness requirement annually. Uh, it seems to me every company in America ought to do that. Why just the military? Oh, isn't that a good question? I so appreciate the companies that give uh, a reduction in the health insurance for people that exercise regularly. Um, and don't smoke, practice other good health habits, because I think we need to be rewarding the positive things people do. Well, when you were talking about minutes of exercise, and I was wondering, you know, for regularly, you know, people say, oh, get, you know, 30 minutes of exercise five times a week or whatever it is. So when you're working with people with cancer, is do you say this much time? Is it individualized? Is there a recommendation on what they should be striving for? Is it the same? Well, it's so interesting. The American College of Sports Medicine just published guidelines, well, uh, several years ago now, but relatively recently, for people with cancer, they're identical 
to the healthy uh, public. So just like you said, 30 minutes of exercise five times a week, that's what they recommend for people with cancer. Wow, that's very interesting. New York Times keeps running pieces on, well, you can get all the benefits by exercising for six minutes, maybe two two minutes, maybe down to one minute. The seven-minute workout, have you been trying any of that? I haven't done any of that, and I don't quite get how that works. You just go like for crazy. You just work out as hard as you can for two minutes or seven minutes, and then you rest. Yeah. Yeah, I see the suspicious look on her face. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, there's an app for you, the seven-minute workout. Right. But, you know, it's like the one-minute manager. I don't know if that works either. I want to see the research. <laughs> oh, well, there you are. You want to see evidence-based research. That's it. Yeah. And you're doing that in your studies now, right? Yes, yes. We follow the ACSM guidelines uh, around that. Um, we it, That's the American Academy of Sports Medicine? I'm sorry, exactly. Yeah, thanks. Good guess. It was a guess. It was good guess. <laughs> Thank you. And I, I really think the focus of our, our efforts now as a, a profession and as a nation need to turn to how do we – Make exercise possible for people. I love the linear parks we have in San Antonio. I am so appreciative to the mayor and the city manager and, you know, our legislatures to support those. Howard Peak was a big backer oh, yes. we of are linear lucky. parks when he was mayor and yeah. because he rode a bike, because he exercised. It makes a difference. It does. gives people the opportunity to go out. First thing in the morning, later at night, walk the dog. Just a great idea. Um, Something I find challenging living in San Antonio is that I have to change my workout times depending on what the temperatures are outside. In the summertime, I actually walk after dark. It'll be like 930 at night because it's just too hot. And I'm not a morning person. Ron could go walk in in his pool in the morning. I'm not getting up early enough for it to be cooler. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, wait. I used to do early morning radio, and I still keep that clock in my head. So I'm up 4.35. Oh, Carol right. knows that because I'll email her articles. That's right. And I'll <laughs> see, I'll see them hour, hours later. <laughs> yeah. Well, so let's just extrapolate. So, the, you know, the show's for caregivers, variety, any condition, variety of conditions. So if exercise is good for people with cancer and it's good for people with PTSD, could we then say that exercise might be good for People suffering from other types of chronic conditions. Absolutely. Um, Kidney disease, heart disease, pulmonary disease, even arthritis. You would think painful joint. Well, you certainly know, being a gerontologist, you know, painful joints that are very hard to move and you think, well, you don't want to move them because you might damage them more. That It's actually just the opposite. You want to be moving. That's right. That counterintuitive. So you, what my understanding is you lubricate the joints. The exercise gets the fluid, lubricates the joints, and actually helps get rid of pain. And so many people suffering from arthritis pain don't realize it's the moving that's going to make you feel better. As opposed mm-hmm. to the drugs. Oh, yes, as opposed to the drugs. So... Uh, so you have this philosophy. Do do you find that others in the healthcare field are picking up on your advice um, and prescribing exercise as part of the treatment plan for cancer, the treatment plan for PTSD? How do we get from the research that you're doing into the practice in the everyday world 
like you know, we work with a medical group, WellMed. How does WellMed get this advice that you know what this is? People need to be doing the exercise too. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that the trick? The American Academy of Sports Medicine has a little saying right now that exercise is medicine. And I really like it because just like we used to have physicians prescribe stop smoking on a prescription pad because mm-hmm. maybe that would encourage people, seems like we ought to be doing the same thing for exercise. You know, they'll, they'll say, oh, yeah, and you should exercise on the way out the door. You don't – providers don't have very much time with people. I think the trick is kind – is engaging people in a conversation because it – okay, what is exercise? What is exercise for you? What can you do with your physical abilities, with what you like to do? So we can prescribe exercise. And, you know, I'm sure WellMed is making those recommendations, but what can we do to engage people on what might work for them? So do you try to sugarcoat it? I know sometimes we'll say physical activity when we mean exercise. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like hmm, maybe something else. Not really exercise. Exercise equals spandex, I think, in some people's minds. (laughs) Yeah. They're still stuck in flash dancer, (laughs) Olivia Newton-John way back when. Okay, so people listening to this will know exactly how old I am by saying that. (laughs) Oh, I recognize all those references. (laughs) You know, you brought up caregivers um, a while ago, and I know this, this program is focused on caregivers. And at least many of the patients I cared for, the caregiver is pretty much turns over their life to the person who's sick and their health can suffer as you well know yes and so i like to recommend exercise for the caregiver as well sometimes it's something that they can do together and it's not like you have to leave somebody at home without any supervision or assistance should they need it. It's a way to just get out of the house. You can push somebody in a wheelchair. Um, I I also like to you know talk with a caregiver about what might work for them because um, you know, they need their health when they're it's, over it's this interesting illness. when we're raising our children. You see the mom, the young moms out there. You know, pushing the baby around in the baby stroller. We always think when we have children, we got to get them out and get them exercise. We got to get them out and get them sunshine. Um, and so many of us, if somebody is sick, especially you know with cancer or they're old and and um, maybe they've got very bad diabetes, and we forget about that sunshine, fresh air, and exercise uh, to help ourselves. And you know, that's because that's something we used to do with our kids, but we don't really do it with the people that we're caring for when they get older. And true as well for patients with Alzheimer's. Exercise does make a difference. Oh, single biggest best thing that you can do is take somebody with Alzheimer's for a walk around the block. Help get their blood moving. Now, we're almost out of time before we we end. Let's come back to the beginning, and and that is uh, you're doing work and research now uh, on the benefits of exercise for people with a variety of diseases or primarily cancer. 
Um, actually, right now the work is with people with PTSD. Oh, PTSD. Is the work okay. right now, yeah. Um, we actually have a number of projects under review right now. Um, there's a organization, a prostate cancer organization, that's looking to test a very intensive supervised exercise program that we're really hoping that the uh, Health Science Center Cancer Treatment Research Center will be selected as one of those sites. And we've got super personnel, great facilities that we hope we can enroll some people into that and and uh, see what that might do for people with prostate cancer. We've got to stop you right there. Well, we want you to come back, though. Well, you're a great guest. Yeah, so when you have more research under your belt on the PTSD um, and some of the other work, we would love to have you come back and tell us and, about and, it. And uh, we don't invite everybody back. We don't. We don't. So we'd be delighted to have you back, Dr. <laughs> Stacy Young, thank you very much. Retired Army Colonel, uh, a nurse and a specialist in exercise and benefits. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Take 10 is next, right here on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, and one of the things I'm most pleased about being a WellMed patient is the way in which I'm treated by all the staff at the clinic I go to. And Dr. Robin Eikhoff that's not by accident. No, it's not. We really spend a lot of time training our staff and asking them to really connect with the patients and get to know them because we consider them part of our clinic home. And the other thing that's really impressive to me is the amount of time my well-med physician spends with me. And you do the same thing with your patients. Yeah, I, I really do try to. And, and we do a lot, a lot more time than your typical uh, provider can afford to give. And I think that allows us to get to know the whole patient and not just their diseases. That's cool. Don't have a lot of time to talk about prevention, but you do a lot of that as well. We spend an enormous amount of time on preventative measures. Want information about WellMed? Want to be a WellMed patient? Call 210-614-WELL. 210-614-WELL. Well, we're delighted to have you back with us here on Caregiver SOS on Air. Take 10 follows each of our regularly scheduled programs. Dr. Jamie Heisman is on vacation, will not be joining us today, but Carol Zerniel is not only filling in, she's on the show regularly anyhow as our co-host. I'm Ron Aaron. You wrote a really wonderful essay on communication. and It's my I, little blog. It was my little yeah. Yeah, essay sounds like I... It should be more formal. It, well, it was the, an essay. For our caregiver, our connections, which yes. is our, our newsletter. Sorry, signals. Signals, hello. Signals hello. newsletter um, that goes out to caregivers, and people hmm. can ask for that and go to caregiversos.org and you know request to be on the mailing list. And I do a blog, and I did actually recently talk about communicating. I read a lot of your stuff. Um, I don't have to, but I do. And that was a wonderful piece. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. You know, we we were talking, um, I think it was last week when we were talking to one of our guests about she recorded her mom and these conversations that she had with her mom. Um, and the yard, you Kathy know, Borey. Kathy Borey, that's right, um, from Canada. And I recently spent uh, some time with my mom who has Alzheimer's and really did rediscover communication because we just take it for granted. We think, oh, we talk. You know, and, and we don't put any effort into it most of the time. So when you are, are working with an elderly person and they don't even have to have Alzheimer's, 
if they are hard of hearing, if they're deaf, if they've had some sort of a speech impairment, like from a stroke, um, if they have Alzheimer's where they can't understand the words. There are so many times those of us who are caregivers are trying to communicate with somebody that may not understand us, may not be able to hear us, may not be able to respond. And so we have to actively engage in communications. You know, we, you're a professor in college, Ron, so you probably taught communications. I um, did. Business communications or communications in broadcasting. Both. You know, it's it really, there's a science behind it. Well, well not only that, uh, and you find this in, in hiring people, uh, those who are the who can write, and there's so few people today who can write, who know how to communicate, are, are invaluable. Oh, absolutely. So when you're dealing with somebody that has some sort of a deficit, then we have to change our communication style. And Kathy was talking um, last week about uh, her mother in these conversations and how her mother seemed to be speaking in some sort of imagery and poetry, um, and she would have to think, what does she really mean by that in this kind of colorful language that didn't make sense maybe at first blush, but then when she thought about it, she could kind of understand the meaning behind it. Um, and and I was talking in the blog about, you know, the things that my mother would say and, and trying to figure out, you know, they're like repetitive questions. What does she, what does she mean when she says, you know, what time is it, what time is it, what time is it? And it was actually Dr. Uh, Nestor Pradario, who's a um, geriatric psychiatrist in Corpus Christi, extremely good with people with dementia, who mentioned that somebody who's repeating that what time is it question is really wanting you to, wanting to know what am I supposed to be doing? Um, and so it was that thought is, is what else is she trying to communicate to me? Um, my mother-in-law had Alzheimer's and one time we went to, to visit her and we walked in the house and the whole house was full of baby toys and baby clothes. She must have bought 25 different things, diapers, bottles, toys, and everything was labeled. And she was in her seventies and we said, um, what's going on here today? And she patted her stomach. She said, I'm going to have 92 babies. 92 babies. 92 babies. And we said, why do you think you're going to have 92 babies? And she goes, I can tell. And so, you know, we wrote that off. We're like, okay, this is one of those Alzheimer's things. She had gallstones. And she was communicating. I felt so, so terrible. So she communicating pain. She was telling us something's going on inside. It's in my stomach. I can feel it. And the only thing that she could relate to us was having babies. And I felt so badly that I didn't second guess or try to understand the, her motivation for saying that. She'd gone to a lot of work. It was apparently something, a very big deal. And we wrote her Efforts to communicate off wow. is another interesting Alzheimer's story. And that was the wrong thing to do. And so this time when I was staying with my mom, I really tried to focus on what she might be saying behind the words. And 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 really, kind of, you have to really be in the moment to do that. Um, when When she wouldn't want to do something, you know, I was thinking, you know, maybe she doesn't remember how to do what it is I'm asking her to do. So in the blog, I kind of have this conversation of what my mom said right. as opposed, and what I think she really meant by what she was saying. And that's a whole 
that's a whole different type of uh, dialogue that you're having when you're really focusing on the person and trying to understand what they were saying. Well, you're a speech really detective. Yeah, it's a speech detective. It's a it's a word detective. It's a meaning detective. Um, and it it's something that we don't normally do, except maybe when our kids are young, when they're just learning to talk. And what does ba 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 mean? Or you know, right. we're deciphering the two year old interpretation of words. Okay, what does it say? It again. What are you saying? And where we might be patient and we're excited about a kid learning to talk. Someone who is older and struggling to communicate, sometimes we're not as patient with them. Well, in a sense, they've regressed uh, to that earlier speech where they can't quite tell you what they're thinking and feeling. And and imagine how frustrating that could be. Must be terrible. um, There are, you know, like ALS, uh, you know, if you've seen uh, any of the the work for Dr. Hawking's and and having his voice automated, but imagine how terrifying it is to have to be to know what's going on and not be able to speak. Um, that would be terrifying. Or know that you're losing your ability to understand language, or um, ask having people ask you questions and you never know the answer. You it's like being that kid in school that the teacher calls upon you're scared to death. And you never, how miserable is it, you know, was it when we were in school and the teacher called on us and we weren't ready? I want to go back to something you said on our show just the other day. If you just joined us, you're listening to Take 10. We follow each of our Caregiver SOS shows with Take 10. Normally, Dr. Jamie Heisman joins Carol Zerniel and me, Ron Aaron. He is on vacation, so uh, we're doing fine without him. You hear us on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Uh, you said the other day, as as we were talking about uh, about some of this, that uh, you have to understand what people are saying. you got to get behind what they're saying. Uh, you need to interpret what they're saying. That's right. And that, that goes into very active listening, into hearing. Sometimes we talk about reading between the lines. Um, and so sometimes we have to hear between the words. Uh, and... We have to, you have to really be open to the other person. And that's not something that we normally do when we're just listening on a day to day basis. So it's really, you have to really participate. And, and not only do you have to participate, but you still have to do the basic communication things. Like, um, I mentioned my mom wears a hearing aid. She has, she's and you wrote hearing. about it was broken. And she, well, she we, washed we, it. We washed it. Somebody washed it in a washing machine. So she's there without Not her, good. She's there without aid. her hearing aid. I mean, she's having trouble understanding. And too often, we really don't take the trouble to communicate well with older people. Uh-huh. Which, how many of us like to talk to somebody from the other room? My husband will come running in the studio right now and go, "That's her. She's the culprit. She's the one that tries to talk to me from the other room." Um, and it's really not fair. We have to create an environment to communicate. Like I need to be in the same room. And, and I, and this really, you know, we talk about problem behaviors when we're dealing with people that have some, um, these deficits. If I'm in the same room and I'm looking at you and I'm communicating and not only am I communicating with my words, but you can see my face. You know, I'm I'm trying to smile at you or maybe I have something important to tell you. You can see mm-hmm. that in my face, even if you may not understand the words. So we have to set up an environment where we can actually communicate and understand each other. You have to talk to your husband because my wife does something very similar. It may be a woman thing. Yeah, I it don't could know. be a woman thing. It could be. Yeah. 
And I will say, as I'm sure Ernie says, would you please come here or I'll go That's there? Right. I, I can't hear you. That's right. And see, for, for you, you can actually say that. But for some people that we're caring for, they can't say that. They're not going to ask that question. And I have done them an incredible disservice by not coming in and respecting them and their ability to communicate. Well, for those who want to see the blog again, how do they find it? It's a wonderful piece. You can piece. go to caregiversos.org and we post our my blogs. Jamie's blogs are all there for you to see. Well, thank you for writing it. Thank you. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, brought to you by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. This is Take 10, and we follow each of our programs with Take 10. You hear us on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS on Air on 930 AM, The Answer.